Hey there, welcome to this hint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. Today, let's look at a word that I find fascinating. It's a word called inception. Inception is a noun, and it's defined as the establishment or starting point of an institution or an activity. Now, we've had a lot of requests lately to discuss how we start up our botanical method aquariums. Now, sure, we've covered this topic before over the years, and yet as our practices have evolved, so is our understanding about why we do things the way we do and what makes it work, why it works. Establishing a new botanical method aquarium is an exciting, fun, and really interesting time. And the process of creating your own aquarium is shockingly easy, decidedly unstressful, and really engaging. Of course, you have to make it that way. The main ingredients that you need are a vision, a bit of knowledge, and patience. Bringing your tank from a clean, dry, static display to a living, breathing microcosm filled with life is this amazing process. And to me, this is the most exciting part of keeping botanical method aquariums. And how do we usually do it? I mean, for many hobbyists, we've been more or less indoctrinated to, you know, rinse up some sand, age some water, clean some wood, arrange plants, add the fishes. And that works, of course. It's the basic formula that we've used in the hobby for like a century. Yet, I'm surprised how we as a hobby have managed to turn what, to me, is one of the most inspiring, fascinating, and let's face it, important parts of our aquarium hobby journey into what's more or less a checklist to be run through, a set of obstacles, really, to our ultimate enjoyment of our aquarium. When you think about it, setting the stage for life in our tanks is the single most important thing that we do. If we utilize a different mindset and deploy a lot more patience for the process, we start to look at it a bit differently. I mean, sure, you want to rinse the sand as cleanly as possible. I get that. You, you want to make sure that you don't have a piece of wood that's been, you know, that's been, that's going to float or maybe it's covered in dirt and you want to soak it for a while and, well, wait, do you? I mean, sure, if you don't rinse your sand carefully, you'll get some cloudy water for weeks. There's, there's no argument there. And if you don't clean your driftwood carefully, you're liable to have some soil or other terrestrial, you know, dirt get into your system and more tannins get released, which leads to, well, well, what does that lead to? I mean... The aquarium is not a sterile habitat. Let's not fool ourselves. And for that matter, the natural aquatic habitats that we attempt to emulate, although comprised of many millions of times more water volume and throughput than we have in our tanks, are typically not pristine either. <laughs> I mean, soils from the surrounding terrestrial environment, which are replete in these waters, carry with them decomposing material, leaves, all sorts of stuff, which impacts the chemistry, the oxygen carrying capacity, the biological activity, and of course, the visual appearance of the water. And that's kind of what our botanical method aquarium adventure is all about, right? Utilizing these imperfect materials that are at our disposal and fostering and appreciating the natural interactions between the terrestrial and aquatic realms that occur in the tank. Of course, much like in nature, our botanical method aquariums make use of the ingredients found in the materials that comprise their environment. And the infusion of these terrestrial materials into the water and the resulting biological processes which occur are what literally make our tanks come alive. And yeah, it all starts with the nitrogen cycle. We can embrace the mindset that every leaf, every piece of wood, every bit of substrate in our aquariums is actually a sort of a, a catalyst for sparking biodiversity, function, and for that matter, a new view of aesthetics in our aquariums. I'm not saying that we should never rinse sand or 
not soak wood before we add it to our tanks. What I am suggesting though, is that we don't lose our shit if our water gets a little bit turbid or if there's a bit of botanical detritus accumulating on the substrate. Guess what? We don't have to start our tanks with brand new sparkling right from the bag substrates. Of course not. We can utilize some old substrate from an, you know, another aquarium. We've done this as a hobby for decades for the purpose of jumpstarting bacterial growth. And it also has the side benefit of providing a sort of a nice aesthetic as well. And you can, and you should take it further. Use that slightly algal-covered piece of driftwood or that rock in your brand new tank. Not only does it give that more broken-in look, it, it helps foster a habitat that's more favorable for the growth of microorganisms, fungi, and other creatures, which comprise an important part of a closed aquarium ecosystems. And it acts as a sort of inoculant of sorts. In fact, in a botanical method aquarium, facilitating the rapid growth of this biotia is fundamental. It's perfectly okay for your tank to look a little bit worn in or broken in right from the start. It's that functional aesthetic thing again, right? The look results from the function. In fact, I think that most of us would actually prefer that. It's okay to embrace this from a functional and aesthetic standpoint. Just, you know, employ good husbandry, careful observation, and common sense when you're starting and managing your new aquarium. This is nothing new to us, is it? Don't obsess over pristine, especially in those first hours. The aquarium still has to clear a few metaphorical hurdles in order to be a stable environment for your fishes to thrive in. And I'm operating on the assumption, gulp, (laughs) that most of us have at least a basic understanding of the nitrogen cycle and how it impacts our aquariums. However, maybe we don't all have that understanding. My ramblings, you know, have been labeled as moronic by at least one or two critics over the years, however, so it's no biggie for me as the said resident moron to give a very oversimplified review of the cycling process in an aquarium. So let's touch on that for just a moment. Now, during the so-called cycling process, ammonia, which results from decomposing material, ammonia levels will build and then suddenly decline as the nitrite-forming bacteria multiply within the system. Now, because nitrate-forming bacteria don't impair until the nitrite is available in sufficient quantities to sustain them, nitrite, which is toxic to fishes, nitrite levels climb dramatically as the ammonia is converted and keep rising as the constantly available ammonia is converted to nitrite. Once the nitrate-forming bacteria multiply in sufficient numbers, nitrite levels decrease dramatically. Nitrate levels, which are much less toxic to fishes in most cases, start to rise and the tank is considered cycled, or some might call it fully cycled. And of course, the process of creating and establishing your aquarium ecology doesn't end there, but for these purposes of the discussion, we'll just sort of start from there. With a stabilized nitrogen cycle in place, the real evolution of the tank begins. This process is constant, and the actions of nature in our aquariums facilitate changes for as long as we have them set up. And yes, our botanical method aquariums change constantly. They change over time in really noticeable ways. As the leaves in the botanicals break down and change shape and their form, the water darkens. Often there's an almost patina of haziness to the water along with the tint, perhaps caused by dissolving botanical material like lignans and tannins and perhaps a bloom of microorganisms which, you know, consume them. This is perfectly analogous to what you see in the natural habitats of the fishes that we love so much. As the materials present in the flooded forests, the ponds and the streams of the world break down, they start altering the appearance of it and the, the biological, chemical and physical structure of the water. It's something that we as aquarists have to accept in our tanks, which is not always easy for everybody. 
decomposition, detritus, bios, you know, biofilms, all that stuff looks, well, looks different than what we've been told over the years is proper for an aquarium. And it's as much a perception issue as it is a husbandry one. I mean, we're talking about materials from decomposing botanicals and wood as opposed to uneaten fish, you know, fish waste and stuff like that. So it's different. What's really cool about this is that in our community, we aren't seeing hobbyists freak out over some of the aesthetics that were previously associated with the word dirty. It's sort of seen as a fundamental part of the evolution of our tanks. And soon you'll see the emergence of these elegant yet very simple life forms like bacterial biofilms and fungal growths. Now we've long maintained that the appearance of biofilms and fungi on your botanicals and wood and leaves are to be celebrated, not feared. They represent a burgeoning emergence of life, albeit in one of its lowest and to some most unpleasant looking forms, but that's a really big deal. Now biofilms, as we've discussed like ad nauseum here, form when bacteria adhere to surfaces in some sort of watery environment and begin to excrete a slimy glue-like substance consisting of sugars and other compounds that can stick to all kinds of materials like, well, in our case, botanicals and leaves. It starts with a few bacteria taking advantage of the abundant and comfy surface area that leaves and seed pods and driftwood offer. The early adapters, they put out a welcome mat for other bacteria by providing a more diverse set of adhesion sites like a matrix of sugars and that holds the biofilm together sort of a colony forms so, since some bacteria species are incapable of attaching to a surface on their own they often anchor themselves in the matrix uh, th th or directly to their buddies who arrived at the party first you can make a lot of analogies to human behavior i suppose our, our dear friend johnny siati calls this period of time when the biofilms and fungal growth start emerging and your tank starts coming alive the bloom it's sort of a a very appropriate term and one that conjures up a beautiful image of nature sort of unfolding in your aquariums, your miniature aquatic ecosystem blossoming before your very eyes. What's the real positive takeaway here? Biofilms and fungal growths are really a sign that things are working right in your aquarium, a visual indicator that natural processes are at work helping forge your tank's ecosystem. About a year ago, I had a discussion with our friend Alex Frankie. You probably know Alex because he has one of the most beautiful true botanical method aquariums we've ever seen, a, a, a gorgeous Igarape themed aquarium. And he actually entered it in a, uh, the Aquatic Gardeners Association um, aquascaping contest under the biotope, um, the biotope uh, section and placed extremely high. And it was really great to see a real botanical method aquarium placed in a contest. I thought that was super cool. But, you know, the thing with that I, I was taken with when I talked to Alex about his tank was that you know, he created the stunning, natural functioning and appearing system, and he wasn't repulsed by it at all. Rather, he was like awed and fascinated, and I mean, he literally celebrated what was occurring in his tank. Now, he has this innate understanding of the ecological process, and he replaced that fear and loathing thing with excitement and wonder. Now, what was neat is that Alex is a hardcore aquascaper. If you've seen some of his works, there's a beautiful, artistic aquarium, so natural in a very different way. And to see him sort of marveling and really rejoicing in this bloom of biofilms in his tank was remarkable. He got it. He gets it. And it turns out he's not the only one that gets it. A lot of you do. And our love of biofilms for, and fungal growth, for that matter, is shared by some people who really appreciate them as, well, as food. The people that keep shrimp. Yeah, these people, you know who you are, go out of their way to cultivate and embrace biofilms and fungi as a food source for their little, you know, neocardina and cardina and all those little shrimp that they keep. They get it. And this makes perfect sense because 
these life forms are abundant in nature, particularly in habitats where shrimp naturally occur, which are typically filled with, you guessed it, botanical materials like leaves, fallen tree trunks, decomposing seed pods, a perfect haunt for biofilm and fungal growth. So nature celebrates the bloom too, right? There's something truly remarkable about these natural processes playing out in our aquariums as they've done in nature for eons. Okay, so time for a little thought experiment. Um, you're a fish. No, seriously, make yourself a fish just for a second. I think I'd be probably like a black ghost knife fish because it's a cool fish and, you know, that's what I want to be. Okay, what, you thought I'd be a cardinal tetra or something? I mean, come on, no. Anyway, you're a fish. So your main goals in life are generally avoiding predators, finding food, and, well, reproducing. The, the finding food part, though, is what we're going to focus on for the purpose of this little tiny experiment. So, okay, let's just go back to you being you for just a second. So you move into a new house. Would you want to move into a house that didn't have a refrigerator, at least partially stocked with food, if not full of it? I wouldn't for sure. I mean, I want to eat, right? Unlike humans, though, fishes, like our black ghost, seem to have not lost their genetic programming for grazing and hunting for food, that kind of thing. Let's face it. Most of the waking hours of aquatic animals are devoted to acquiring food and you know, then reproducing. They need to have some food sources available to hunt and graze for. That's just reality. So why not help accommodate our animals' evolutionary needs by supplementing their prepared diet with some pre-stocked natural foods in their new home? You know, slow down for a little bit, get things kind of going, and then add the fishes. I'm not, I'm not talking about tossing in a few frozen brine shrimp or pellets or whatever a few hours before the first fishes go in the tank. No, no, no. I'm talking about a deliberate, systematic attempt to cultivate some living food sources within the system before a fish ever hits the water. So imagine a new system offering all these foraging opportunities for its new inhabitants. In our world, that might mean allowing some of the breakdown of the botanicals or time for the wood or other botanical materials to recruit some biofilms, fungi, even turf algae on their surfaces before you throw the fishes in there. Okay, you're like, Scott, you're being totally impractical here. It could take months to accomplish this. And I've just spent all this money and time setting up this tank and you want me to leave it empty while the biofilms form and you know the Daphnia reproduce? Well, yeah, I do, actually. I know, I'm a little bit crazy and annoying, I'll give you that. But with my last few aquariums, this is exactly what I did. Now, why did I do this? Well, for one thing, I'm kind of a masochist, but it also creates a habitat for life forms, which is uniquely suited to the needs of our fishes. Think about the way most fishes live. Again, they spend a large part of their existence foraging for food, even in the cozy, comfortable confines of the aquarium. That's what they're doing all day. They're poking at stuff. So why not create conditions for them which help accommodate this instinctive behavior and provide opportunities for supplemental or primary nutrition to be available to them by foraging? Now, look, I have no illusions about this idea of pre-stocking being a bit you know, challenging to execute. It's not easy. It's not hard. But I'm no genius. Trust me. I don't have half the skills that many of you do, but I've succeeded with a lot of delicate, hard-to-feed fishes in my hobby career, like pipe fishes and unusual stuff like that. Is there a secret to this? No, I'm just simply really fucking patient. Success in this arena is simply the result of deploying what I call radical patience, the practice of just moving really slowly and carefully when you're, you're adding fishes to your tanks. It's a really simple concept. I mean, to some extent, we already deploy the practice with our botanical method tanks, right? I mean, the very process of creating a botanical method aquarium lends itself to this onboard supplemental food production concept. It's a concept that's pretty analogous to what occurs in nature. And one of the most important functions of many botanically influenced wild habitats is the support of food webs. 
And as we've discussed many times in this blog and podcast, the leaf litter zones in tropical waters are home to a remarkable diversity of life, ranging from the microbial to the fungal, as well as to crustaceans and insects and, oh, and of course the fishes. Now, these life forms are the basis of a complex and dynamic food web, which is the key to productivity in most of these habitats. And you can do this. You can foster a food web of your own or the basis for one in your aquarium. Just wait a minimum of three weeks or even up to a month or two if you can stand it. And you'll have a surprisingly large population of micro and macro fauna upon which your fishes can forage between feedings. Having a pre-stocked system helps reduce a considerable amount of stress for new inhabitants, particularly for wild fishes or fishes that have reputations as delicate feeders. And think about it for a second. It's really a natural analog of sorts. Fishes that live in inundated forest floors, yes, I'm talking about the agapo again, return to these areas to follow the food once they flood. In fact, other than the physical flooding itself, the pursuit of the food sources is the key factor in the migration of the fishes into these habitats in the first place. So what would some candidates be, some candidate organisms be for pre-stocking a botanical method aquarium? Well, how about starting with, okay, it sounds like a commercial, uh, purple non-sulfur bacteria, PNSB, like Rhodospumonis palustris, the species that forms our product culture, which, yes, uh, is useful for carrying out, you know, particularly unusual modes of metabolism, something called anaerobic photoheterotrophic, hetero, well, I can't even pronounce this, but I'm going to say it again because I have to slow down when I say it. It's called anaerobic photoheterotrophy. I, I call it heterotrophy, which is ridiculous. <laughs> In this little process, they consume organic waste while inhabiting, you know, moderately illuminated or poorly oxygen, you know, oxygenated microhabitats like detritus, leaf litter beds, substrate, etc., etc. In addition to helping to maintain an ecologically stable microhabitat, this bacteria provides a nutritious live food source for zooplankton as well as for soil mesofauna and fish. These guys form the foundation of the food chain. It's pretty neat. Bacteria are fascinating organisms. And yes, speaking of culture, sounds like a commercial again, but we'll have that stuff back in stock real soon. We're rethinking a better packaging to make this product more affordable and easier to ship. So we'll be back in, in action soon with that product. Trust me. Next, perhaps uh, starter cultures of organisms like Paramecium, Euglena, Cyclops, you know, the so-called Infusoria from the old school aquarium literature. Um, and then small crustaceans like Daphnia and Copepods of various types. You can get pure cultures of all these things from biological supply houses online. They're a fantastic source of biodiversity for your aquarium. And of course, the more daring among you may want to introduce things like worms, you know, black worms or tubifex worms, if you could find clean cultures of them. For that matter, even blood worms, which are really the larval phases of the midge. Some organisms like nematodes and chironomids, again, those bloodworms, will dig into the leaf structures and they'll feed on the tissues themselves as well as the fungi and the bacteria that you know, are found in and among them. These organisms in turn, of course, become part of the diet for a lot of fishes. In the aquarium, just like in nature, some organisms like those chironomids will dig into those leaf structures and that's huge. It's a food web. Yeah, food web. The resulting detritus, here we go again, produced by the processed and decomposing plant matter is considered by many aquatic ecologists to be an extremely significant food source for many fishes, especially in areas like Amazonia and Southeast Asia, where the detritus is considered an essential factor in the food webs in these habitats. It performs the same function in an aquarium if we allow it to. And of course, if you observe the behavior of many of your fishes in the aquariums, like kerosene, cyprinids, loricarids, and others, you're going to see that in between feedings, they spend a ton of time picking at stuff on the bottom of the tank. In the botanical method aquarium, it's a pretty common occurrence, and I believe 
an important benefit of this type of system. When you start seeing your fishes graze casually on the materials that pop up on your driftwood and your botanicals, you start realizing that, although it may not look like the aesthetics we've had in mind for years past, it's a beautiful thing to our fishes. You can do this. Remember, it's all part of the game with a botanical-influenced aquarium. Understanding, accepting, and celebrating this bloom of life is all part of that mental shift towards accepting and appreciating a more natural-looking, natural-functioning aquarium. It's the price of admission, if you will, along with the tinted water, the decomposing leaves, the metaphorical dues that you pay, which ultimately go hand-in-hand with the envious oohs and ahs of hobbyists who admire your completed aquarium when they see it for the first time. It's pretty cool. Stay studious, stay diligent, stay observant, stay patient, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.